Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. This is an RNZ podcast. Kia ora and welcome. A warning as we get started. You may find this podcast confronting. It contains graphic descriptions. You'll hear about a subject most of us find hard even to contemplate, let alone speak of. This is about a corner of life that remains shrouded in silence. Her full name is Ren Sarah Thunderstorm Arcus. How life can tilt in a moment. When what happened happened, it was a complete curveball to our life. And out of nowhere, everything can change. In reality, we don't have any control over anything. <laughs> and that's, you know, that was a life lesson I didn't need to learn. I'm Susie Ferguson, and this is The Unthinkable. This is a series about the greatest loss parents can endure, but they do endure it, and have for generations. Meet Sam Arcus and Kate Gudsell. We basically found pretty much sort of like five or six weeks after we got married. I remember feeling like, oh, feeling really nauseous, having a really strong sense of smell, you know, tasting metal when I was, you know, I remember drinking a beer um, and, and it being like tasting metal and thinking, this tastes really weird and just feeling a little bit off. You might recognise Kate's voice. She's a reporter here at RNZ and her husband Sam's an electrician. They live just north of Wellington City in a quiet street in Tatahi Bay. They've put a shed in at their place for Sam's welding gear. Kate loves the big garden at the back of their home, where the chickens peck and scratch, and where Bam the dog runs about. They were married in November 2015, in the church at Paikakariki, just north of Wellington. Sam scrubbed up smart in a kilt as a nod to his heritage from the Shetland Islands. Kate was in a vintage dress by 1970s Hollywood designer Holly Harp. She bought it online. It was a bit of a punt because she couldn't try it on. She had little white roses and rosemary in her hair and it looked like her mother's had been on her wedding day. Just a few weeks later, Kate discovered she was pregnant. We just assumed it would be like a year or two and we weren't like actively trying, I guess, but we were not not trying, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think people can work it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So and yeah, and I think I just did the did a pregnancy test, and it was positive. And I don't think we could quite believe it, really, could we? As soon as they knew they were expecting a girl, they named her. Me and Kate are the kind of people that we don't really like surprises, 
actually, I hate surprises. So when we could find out what sex it was, of course, we're going to find out. And then after that, we we did name her and settled on Wren. And I think um, a little bit as well, like my oldest sister was pregnant with a little girl as well. And I really wanted to stake the name claim, which is probably quite terrible. But having named her... It made it, it, made it more real. She wasn't just talked about like baby. Um, she was a girl. We, we called her Wren. Wren Sarah Arcus. Wren just because they liked it, and Sarah after Kate's mother. They had the name, and from the beginning they felt the connection. Now they started preparing for her arrival. Over the next few months, they got all the baby gear, a cot, a change table. They'd even bought pictures of little birds for her room. In September, when Wren was a few days overdue and as storm clouds approached the city, Kate's contractions started. This is really gross, but the mucus plug basically came out. She was pretty much on her way at, and it would be next day or so. Because she was overdue, I got one of those, like, what are they called? Stretch and sweeps. Yeah, stretch and sweeps. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much graphic, how much graphic detail you want. <laughs> and that was probably about Wednesday afternoon. And then I went to bed that night and contractions had definitely started. And they got quicker and closer together, you know, and all the kind of other gross stuff that happens when you're in labour, like you're throwing up and... You know, your husband's being annoying and all that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember because it was a freezing, freezing cold day. It was so cold yeah. the day that she arrived. And, you know, the contractions, I mean, you know, God, that that was so painful, which I'm sure anyone who's had a baby knows. But, yeah, they were just, you know, really painful and they were getting closer and closer together. I downloaded an app to time the contractions and it turned out to be really useless because I can't tell when Kate's having a contraction too badly because she's screaming and yelling and um, nothing different from usual no no so like at nine o'clock we're like they appear to be getting quicker to the point where it was like right we should go to the hospital she'd had a normal pregnancy with no complications and no fuss and kate was healthy there seemed no need for an obstetrician so she and sam had decided the birthing unit at kenipuru community hospital in porirua close to home was just what they were after it's not an emergency hospital, but it's got a birthing unit. Birthing so. unit was pretty sweet. I mean, it had a nice little courtyard that you could walk around, all this other stuff. Birthing pools yeah. and... Yeah, I think before I realised what childbirth was actually like, I visioned how lovely it would be <laughs> walking, yeah. around, walking around, uh, you know, this lovely courtyard, yeah. <laughs> labour. Um, what a rude awakening I got. They got there late in the morning, around 11 o'clock. There are midwives at the birthing unit, but no doctors. They put the monitors on me, we're checking the heartbeat and everything was fine. For me, it was sort of like a real blur from this point on. At about one o'clock, I remember just all these midwives being in this room and moving me around and making me breathe oxygen and all this other stuff. And then my midwife saying, we're going to go to Wellington. You're having this baby at Wellington, whichever way. And calling, calling. The midwives were struggling to find Wren's heartbeat. Kate was taken by ambulance to Wellington Hospital. Sam couldn't go with her. He had to take the car. He wasn't allowed to leave it parked at Kenipuru. He had to drive 20 minutes into the city alone. I remember just being in the ambulance and how painful it was because they'd put me on my back because that was the place where they feel the heartbeat and stuff. And I remember the ambulance just turning around, 
to you on the lights and the siren on and she was talking to the midwife and I was like yes I mean <laughs> yes you know I know the the journey from Porirua to to Wellington so well you know every so often I'd look up and be like oh man we're only at Tawa oh man we're not we're only at Johnsonville when are we going to get there I still think now what it, that must have been like for Sam having to know that his wife and his baby were being rushed to hospital and he wasn't there and that one of us might possibly make it, you know. We'll pick up Sam's journey to the hospital in the next episode. They all met in the delivery suite at Wellington Hospital. We could hear the baby's heartbeat and then when Kate's midwife put a little monitor actually on Ren's head, Ren was still inside, so we could hear the audible heartbeat, like this like metronome heartbeat, but it was definitely slowing down and everything just sort of exploded like literally 20 people in the room and then the senior obstetrician come in take one look at Kate take one look at the scan and go this baby's coming out now turning to Kate going Kate you need to push and then Kate very politely going I know I really need to poo (laughs) (laughs) you didn't have to that's that's how quick it was. It would have been only 10 to 15 minutes. It was like an audience. There was so much yelling and beeping and people getting everything prepared and I knew stuff was quite serious when they wheel in this incubator machine and they have these paddles ready to shock the baby's heart back into life. But I can hear this heartbeat and I can hear this heartbeat and the heartbeat was... I don't know if it was audibly louder, but it was to me it was the loudest thing in that room, even though people were screaming and yelling. All of us are looking at Kate and telling her to push. And, and then I think literally yeah. the baby started crowding them because I had gone from being... You're four centimetres dilated. Four centimetres dilated to just being fully dilated in literally a matter of minutes. And, and it was four pushes, and Kate did, like, an amazing job. And um, I remember the obstetrician was, like, after Ren was born, going, oh, yeah, Kate, is this your first kid? And Kate's like, yeah. And she's like, well, that's a really good labour for a first time. Which was a really ridiculous thing, thing to, to say, say, actually, because it was a terrible labour. Ren was born at 2.14 in the afternoon of the 8th of September. She was limp. A paediatrician resuscitated her. Kate heard doctors talking about Wren suffering a lack of oxygen and she knew that could mean brain damage. Everyone was rushing around, talking to her but not telling her exactly what she wanted to know. I stepped in and said, she's fine, she's breathing on her own. I heard her cry. To put you at ease. Had you heard her cry? No. We never heard her cry. No, we never heard her make a sound. It was the worst. I think that was the hard thing, because I always imagined this character being a bit like me, just being really loud and noisy in that. You expect that, you know, the baby comes out and you hear this wail of, like, you know, here I am, I'm in the world. And not ever hearing that is the most devastating thing in the world. And that was like hard for a long time afterwards. Like if we ever heard 
anyone like complain about sleepless nights because the baby's crying. I was like, God, I would kill to hear that noise, that that perfect noise, you know. Ren was whisked away to the neonatal intensive care unit, or NICU. Sam and Kate were now alone, in the room that had been crammed with people. In the silent aftermath of the birth, the horrible enormity hit. I remember Sam just sort of sitting in the corner and me just lying on the bed, and it was just silent, and I was freezing cold, and it was just... It was honestly like, <laughs> like where the hell is our baby? What, yeah. what, you know, what's happened? It was like a nightmare, to be honest. Like we'd gone from Kate being pregnant, having a baby inside her that was happy and healthy, to having this intense moment, and then it was just me and Kate in this room, and it was a it's a big room, and it felt massive, but there was. It was, it was hard to explain. It was like, I don't know, didn't know what to say. Yeah, I just remember being, I mean, you know, I was, you know, I think I was in shock for a long time. I think I was probably in shock for a couple of months, actually, to be honest, but um, I remember you and I just being like, just looking at each other and just kind of shaking our heads. And I think the midwife came in to kind of, you know, take me through the things that you have to do after post-pregnancy. And, you know, the midwife's like, you know, go and have a shower and see if you can pee and things like that. And then I remember just going and Sam having to, I think you came back in. I got extra blankets for Kate and I remember Kate asking what's going on and, and I was like, well, she's in the best possible place she can be right now. She's, you know, these are these people at the top of the world and looking after little babies and Kate heartbreakingly say, no, the best place is with me, which is, was true, but it was just. Did I say that? Yeah. No, I can't actually No, you would. I think I was pretty out of it. And then. Um, I remember just, I distinctively remember going and having the shower and then just having a complete breakdown because, you know, I was just washing this blood away and, and it's horrible for people to listen to, but just, you know, kind of washing the remnants of my child away and just, not knowing what was happening with her. The new mum and dad don't find out what's happening or get to see Ren for hours. The medical team is working on her. At no point for the first four days was it ever conveyed to us that her life was in danger and I don't think they ever thought it was either. In the special care unit, Kate and Sam's dark-haired daughter is surrounded by technology. Ren is in an incubator on a cooling pad to slow down any damage done, and she's been given morphine. Her mum and dad are hardly allowed to touch her, as the doctors don't want Wren to be stimulated. Kate and Sam are allowed to do what are called her cares, like changing her nappy and washing her face, but all with the most fleeting of touches. They're told the first 24 hours are critical. Then after the first day, Wren starts having brain seizures and she's put on medication to manage them. And as the hours tick by, Kate's hit by the practicalities of being a new mum. Initially on the first night, um, the midwife basically helped me produce some colostrum and 
And it's like milliliters. It's not like you think it's going to be like jugs of milk. That's what I thought. (laughs) It's going to be. I did too, actually, in my ignorance. You know, it's going to be like jugs of milk, and we need to get like a fridge because it's going to be so much. But it's like you you had to suck it up with a tiny syringe, and like it's just the tiniest amount, and like it's. They called it liquid gold because it's so small and it is this goldy colour and it was... I remember them, this like, so you have five millilitres and then them showing me this massive syringe and I was like, no freaking way am I going to be able to produce that? But basically I started producing quite a lot and so I would go and every few hours I would sit with Ren and it got gone into a pattern basically where, um, you know, I'd have a pump and just sit by Ren and just pump milk. There was a massive, Yeah, there might still be a massive back catalogue of my milk somewhere in Wellington Hospital. Who knows? But um, it felt really good. And I remember feeling like every time I would produce more and it got, you know, I started producing actual milk. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, I remember helping Kate, like as much as I could, more for comic relief than anything. But, you know, we're like, oh man, that was an amazing session. You got like... 29 mils, well done, and high fives all round kind of thing. Like They'd been given hope, but in the days that follow, Wren doesn't improve. Tests are run, including lumbar punctures, as the doctors grapple to figure out what's happening with her. Everyone said, babies are so resilient. Babies are so resilient. I remember one of them saying to me, I've seen babies get to, you know, you think they got, they've got to a really t- terrible point and they just turn around and then they're, they're fine. And, you know, you hear that all the time. That you, And to be honest, you know, <laughs> stupidly, I thought, how, how, really, how often do babies die? Her parents had been hopeful that she would get home. They started warming her up and withdrawing her seizure medication and... Everything seemed to be going fine. Like her seizures weren't coming back and, you know, we were just waiting for her really to wake up. And start reacting to things, basically. And she didn't wake up, really. Like She never opened her eyes. After five days, Kate and Sam are called into a meeting with one of the doctors. And like, the writing was on the wall from the beginning because, like, you know, if you have a good meeting, you don't have to have it in a private room yeah. with the door shut. But I, as soon as as soon as he started shutting the door, I and, sort of knew, but I yeah. was still holding. Oh, on I knew, to it. it's not I knew. Terminal. And he was trying to put a "do not disturb" sign up, and it wouldn't go up. And you could see that he was quite anxious about stuff. And then he was he sat down, and I remember thinking, "He's going to tell us that our baby's going to die," and the bloody dishwasher was on and it just, I know, but I was just, I'm not listening to being told the worst, the most, dev, you know, the most devastating thing in my life, listening to some freaking pedestrian dishwasher <laughs> going on next to me. It was just, I know that seemed ridiculous thing to focus on. And I was just like, can you just turn the dishwasher off? <laughs> Cause I'm like, I basically know what you're going to tell me. And then he sort of said, I'm really worried about Ren. And this is the first real negative thing we've heard and it was see it was utterly professional and great but it was absolute daggers Sam and Kate had been in limbo living hour to hour in a room in the hospital's delivery suite 
They come out of the meeting bawling, reeling from the gut-wrenching news about Wren. And that's the moment they're also told they have to pack up all their stuff and leave the room that's been makeshift home to them since she was born. It's needed for somebody else. Sam rang his parents. On the phone I said, just come pick us up and then hang up. And we were just waiting outside the hospital with our bags and he says, what's wrong? And I just say, they think Ren's not going to make it. Like I couldn't even myself say Ren's not going to make it. I remember just like as well, just having to cl- clear out, carry out all our stuff. And, you know, we were just like walking out of our hospital without our child. And, you know, no one... No one ever tells you, you know, they prepare you for the fact that you need a car seat and what you need for for nappies and all that other stuff. But no one ever prepares you for what it might feel like to when you, to walk out the hospital without a baby. I just remember st- standing outside the hospital with all our stuff waiting for your parents to pick us up and people just like walking by and we're just cuddling each other crying. <laughs> And it was just so surreal. You were, I'm, but no. Kate and Sam went to his parents' home, sobbing and clinging to each other. But they returned to spend the final hours overnight with their wee girl. We got up in the Wednesday morning and there'd been no improvement or anything. And I remember the senior nurse was with Ren. The way we did her cares that morning was completely different, wasn't it? She yeah. was just like, she was really, you know, like, get, get in. Give her a massage. Uh, she, I was apprehensive to do it and she was amazing, like forcing me. She's like, no, this will make her feel good. Give her a back rub, you know, get your hands in there. And then, and then with hindsight, that was really her way of giving us our really only opportunity to really ever feel our baby. The doctors told them there was no time limit but if the machines were turned off, Wren wasn't going to survive. Kate hated the idea of her daughter being kept alive artificially and she couldn't bear it any longer. They took the decision to switch off her life support that day. And so we went away um, for a cry and a walk up and down the street and came back and Wren was in a different room and it was the first time she'd been in a room with a window, so there was the sun, and we asked, can we hold her, we need to hold her before we do all this? And they said yes, and it took two nurses to pass Ren from the incubator into Kate's arm, and we had to have one nurse like wrap the all the feeding tubes and the breathing tubes and cords around... Kate and it was it was like this it was like it was a spectacle to watch trying to get some alone one on one time when we we did first get to hold her knowing that actually this is the only time we're ever going to be able to hold her and we're going to have to make the choice of when to turn a life support machine off <laughs> and thinking what, what kind of choice is that first time we're getting to hold ours and instead of breastfeeding her I'm having to decide when to turn off the machine that's keeping her alive basically I can't even explain how that made me feel or how it still makes me feel and one of the um, 
the head nurse who was looking after us that day, um, she was great. She organised for the hospital photographer to come round and take some really nice photos of us holding Wren and of Wren together and she did a really good job of just like, you know, we've got 230 photos of our daughter and that's all we're ever going to have. We have them all around our house and we have a few kept away that are only for us. and Yeah. And then basically, we, we, you know, we just we turn off the machine. I mean, when, when's ever a good time to turn off your turn off your child's life support machine? We came in after because we let mum and dad and my brothers have a hold, and we went out and because we tried this whole experience, we tried never never being upset or crying or sad around Ren and that hope that you know that she only knew love and only knew happiness and just look at this beautiful thing and we decided that Kate wanted to try to hold the baby on her skin for the first time. So, we yeah, we did skin to skin and they basically turned off her machine and then the, when they removed the tube from her throat, that was really the first time that we really ever heard her, first and last time heard her make a noise, wasn't it? Yeah, then it was... The first time we'd ever seen her lips. Yeah, because it'd always been... Covered. Yeah. And she just lay on Kate's chest and had a few breaths and... Yeah. Didn't breathe anymore. Kate was still lying there and holding wee Wren and... I picked her up and put her in a bassinet and dressed her for the first and last time. I actually dressed her in um, a onesie that Kate's parents had given her and the christening gown that I was taking home from the hospital in. And it, would, it looked it looked horrible because you're not supposed to wear a christening gown with a onesie. <laughs> so. a, a jazzy animal print onesie. But... It was just like this, com- you know, the combination of, I guess, the two families. Because and- my mum has brought really beautiful Shetland shawls for all their grandchildren, so she brought one for Wren. And so we wrapped her up in that and put a wee hat on her and kissed her and said goodbye. And Wren lived for six days. Sam and Kate decided to have a post-mortem. The finding was that Wren was starved of oxygen for between five and 20 minutes, but the report couldn't tell them at what stage of the birth it happened. Wren had a small, simple funeral. Kate and Sam were reeling, surrounded by only very close friends and family. Kate's midwives were there. Wren lay in a basket, swaddled in the clothes and the Shetland shawl they'd dressed her in. The only time Kate and Sam saw her free of all the tubes and medical tape. She looked peaceful, but was cold when Kate kissed her. Wren was cremated. Me and Kate, we like joking. Her full name is Wren Sarah Thunderstorm Arcus. And 
we wanted something to smile about when we had to write all these documents. The, the paperwork you have to fill out is ridiculous. So, you know, if we... I mean, we were filling out a death certificate before we were filling out a birth certificate. And she was born during this horrendous storm and it was like thunder and lightning and it was crashing around and her life was like this amazing thunderstorm. Like she came in and she changed our world. And it was like it was devastating, but out of destruction comes life and joy. And she's taught us so much, like a amazing thunderstorm. So we called it thunderstorm. And where did the idea for thunderstorm come from? Well, ever since we've had, <laughs> ever since we've talked about having children, which is pretty much since the moment we met, um, Sam had always been like, "If we have a boy, can his middle name be Danger?" and just stuff like that. And I'd be like, "And you can," he's like, "You can choose his first name and all that sort of stuff." And um, it's like that's obviously not going to happen. So there's always been an element of Sam wanting some ridiculous middle name. Tell them and I got you to agree to it. I can't even. When remember. you were huffing Nos. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like in the the throes of labour and, you know, taking laughing gas to make her feel better. And it didn't, I mean, at that point we didn't know that there was an issue either, did we? No. And I was just like, yeah, I mean, I guess I was pretty high on all the hormones and there's gas. And I was like, yeah, thunderstorm's so so appropriate because it was this massive thunderstorm, you know. Um, I'm so in love with you, you know. Actually, I don't know if I did feel in love with you at that stage. I think I had a mutual um, mixture of love, love and hate. hate. Yeah. And because I, had, I was the one who was having to fill out all the paperwork, Kate didn't really have a choice. <laughs> so, and she agreed to it once, so that was good enough for me. But it was actually, like, really fitting because after... We took a couple of weeks off and just went for a, a, pretty much just drove down the South Island and we were walking through the bush and Nelson Lakes and like all these trees were all across the the paths and we had to climb over everything and it they had been destroyed by the storm that that was Ren's storm so it was it was like a beautiful moment walking through that forest and seeing what. And what we said to each other, I was like, Ren did this because that was the same storm that Ren was born in. The unthinkable had happened. Kate and Sam were parents, but they left the hospital without their child. They're only one family. I know five, just in the city I live in, who've lost babies in five years. Wren left an indelible mark on her mum and dad, but life carried on. Now that I'm pregnant again, I was really reluctant to tell people I was pregnant, A, because I, you know, I was really scared something would happen again, but also because I didn't want people to think that we had just, it was fine, you know, we had just forgotten our baby and it was just, you know, like, oh, well, they've got another baby coming, you know. Sam and Kate's second child is due a year and three days after Wren's death. In the aftermath of devastating loss, how do you contemplate having another baby? For bereaved parents, there's never a normal life again. How do you acknowledge the hope lost when a child doesn't grow up? I often say her little life changed my big life forever. And how did Wren change Kate and Sam's lives forever? It's the greatest experience of my life was holding her. Next time on The Unthinkable.
The Unthinkable is a podcast series by RNZ. It was written and presented by me, Susie Ferguson, and produced by Liz Garton. Our executive producer is Tim Watkin. The Unthinkable is engineered by William Saunders. It's available on the RNZ website in the podcasts and series section and on all the podcasting apps, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify and iHeartRadio. Please subscribe and rate us. My thanks to Kate Gudsell and Sam Marcus. Kakiteano. Botox Cosmetic, Adobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.